Do you ever just wake up and feel better? Like you finally got a good night's sleep in a, the first day in a long time and you just feel better? Yeah, that's today for me. I feel better. I've been in kind of a funk for a long time and uh, hence the lack of posting <laughs> and probably lack of quality in posting. Um, I, I've just had a lot of things going on in my life and I've just been overwhelmed. And today feels like a breakthrough. And we're just going to roll with it, you know, whether it's actually a breakthrough or it's just that, uh, you know, I just made myself a pour over of some new Trader Joe's Christmas blend coffee. I don't know, but whatever it is, I'm going to ride it out. So here we go on Daily Commute. This one is um, a story and an interesting thing that happened on, let's see, this would have been Sunday, November the 26th, and it's about the Twitter mob. So this past Sunday, I came home from church and was um, just making some food and checking Twitter, as I do, as the millennial that I am. And let's be honest, Twitter, people people hate on Twitter. Let's just talk about Twitter for a minute. People hate on Twitter all the time, and I think Twitter's awesome. I think Twitter's also a horrible pile of human death sometimes, but... Um, it can be very, a very vitriol and gross place, but it's a great place to get news. It's a great place to get information. Uh, it's a great place to um, also have an echo chamber to make you feel better about the things that you love or hate already. That's true. But um, there's a lot of good that Twitter can do, and I like Twitter. I've always liked Twitter. I've been on Twitter for a long time. It's probably my preferred method of social media interaction because... Um, it's trained me to think in short characters. Although now I can add 280, so it just feels like I can rant uh, forever. Um, I'm just kidding. I, I'm not really a ranter on Twitter. But um, all that aside, I was on Twitter, and I live in the state of Tennessee. If you didn't know that, or if you don't care, it doesn't really matter, but it does matter for this story. Um, I live in Tennessee, and in the state of Tennessee, we take football very seriously. Uh, I say we collectively, not me personally, but uh, football matters a lot to people in my life and people that I'm friends with. Um, I don't know anything about football other than, like, you know, the, the general rules, but I don't understand any strategy or plays. Um, but I follow it because... I want to have conversations with people and pretend to be normal. So I listen to football, you know, I, I stay somewhat connected with it. And um, our coach was fired. And we've been looking for a new coach, apparently. And the guy that apparently they were getting ready to hire maybe that day, um, his name was Greg Schiano. I think that's how you say it. Schiano. Mainly the no part is what came through on Twitter. And that is that people were really upset that Tennessee was going to hire this guy. Uh, apparently he had coached at Rutgers, he would coached maybe for Tampa Bay, a NFL team out here. Um, but the real reason that people were frustrated and upset about him being hired was that he worked at Penn State with Jerry Sandusky and allegedly knew about some of the um, terrible things going on there, sexual like exploitation and um, child molestation and just some really bad, some bad stuff that went on while he was there. And so people were very upset. And um, this turned into a lot more than 
oh, it's a football thing, which I don't really care about, and turned into like, wow, this is sort of like a, this is kind of an important thing. I want to dig into this. So before Sunday, I had no idea who this Greg guy was, um, anything about him. Um, obviously, I knew about Penn State stuff. That was a while ago that I kept up with the news and know about that. So uh, fast forward to, um, you know, about 30 minutes later, and what started as like one like random comment, you know, like that I saw from someone that retweeted from some volunteer account had turned into like a sea of tweeting. And it was kind of like, whoa, people are really talking about this. Like, this is like, this is like, um, I don't know, the biggest cultural thing in our area right now. And suddenly like everyone's talking about it in, in Tennessee. And it, it started to really build. And then people were saying like, um, it went from, oh, this guy doesn't seem good. And then they read about him and they're like, I, if we hire this guy, I won't be going to watch Tennessee play. If we hire this guy, I'm going to change my fan, you know, I'm going to pull for a different team. And that's crazy because Tennessee fans are the most diehard fans. They're the saddest fans. They complain the most, um, definitely, when they're not winning. But they are Vols for life, man, and that's literally their motto. So uh, this got serious when people started saying they were going to change their allegiance to the great state of Tennessee to someone else. And, uh, man, let's keep thinking about this. So in the span of an hour, yeah, it's been about an hour by now, I now know who Greg Schiano is. I now understand his connection to Penn State and the Jerry Sandusky issues. I understand that he's not that great of a football coach, um, maybe like a 500 record, which means he's won about half of his games. Thank you very much. And um, I also understand that people at Tennessee are mad. Now, now, I'm mad also at this point. I'm frustrated because I think this is like, this is not the time in, in the world to hire this guy who has this connection to just some terrible stuff. Like people in the media, people in Hollywood, people in government are being um, accused of and, and outed and fired as they should be. This should happen. Like there's sort of this reckoning happening with victims coming up and standing, standing up and saying like enough is enough and standing up to power. And it's, it's horrible because you're seeing the, the depths to that manipulation and power will take people. But also it's like amazing because people are like blowing the lid off the whole system. And um, so I want to be a person who stands up for victims. I want to be a person who believes and supports victims. And so the thought of um, the University of Tennessee hiring someone who potentially um, did not stand up for victims or was in a scenario where they could have done something and they didn't do anything, um, man, no. Not pumped about that. Not pumped about that for my state. Not pumped about that for what that means for our state. And for me personally, and as someone with children, like, no, 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 not cool. So I'm not cool with this. So I'm digging in a little bit more. I'm learning a little bit more. And then like state representatives start tweeting at the uh, athletic director at the school, like, hey, 
don't hire this guy. You shouldn't do this. This is a terrible idea. Uh, which, so there, now there's this convergence of there are fans that are tweeting, there are state representatives and elected officials that are tweeting and calling, and then there are people that are, you know, on the inside who know kind of what's going on that are tweeting kind of a behind-the-scenes look like, hey, people are really freaking out. Their phones are ringing off the hook. Um, you should keep calling. <laughs> and so people do. And then, like, it all falls apart. And I'm still not exactly sure at this point, like, how far that deal had gone. Um, but what I know, at least, is that there were four signatures needed to make this thing final, and two of them had already been signed. So uh, we were not in contract negotiations. We were in, like, signing day for this coach to come. And apparently the chancellor and maybe the president just needed to sign it, but the AD and the coach had already signed all this stuff. And, like, now maybe we're going to have to pay him, like, millions of dollars because we, you know, went back on an offer that was already offered to him. I don't know. And the school came out with this kind of sketchy, like, oh, we vetted him, and then uh, and, uh, we, we, we didn't feel like this was a big deal. And it's like, okay, either you're lying or you just are that out of touch with what's going on in our country right now that you don't think this matters. Um, because it does. Like, spoiler alert, it matters. It really, really does. Um, and, man, it's just a bad situation. And, I'm, and I don't understand how uh, a group of people with that much money and power just made that decision so recklessly, it feels like. And so behind the, behind the scenes. And, um, yeah, so that, that was crazy. And uh, so the guy's not coming, and I'm not exactly sure what the fallout of all that is. But um, and I don't really care about the football side of things, but I do want to talk about um, some some thoughts about the power of social media and the influence that social media can have on our lives and on our realities. I have this theory, and I, I sort of started developing this theory after I read some statistics where um, it was about like age ranges and, and population and the fact that in the millennial category, the millennial group, which I am a part of, kind of, I'm like right smack in the middle of millennials. I'm like millennial and I'm like young enough of a millennial to not be in like the oldest cap where they're debating about whether they're millennial and I'm not in the youngest category when they're just like uber millennials. Like I remember those things before they were, were sort of like trendy and hipstery, um, like good coffee and, and all that, all that stuff that kind of goes with like millennial hipster mentality. Um, that was just my life before it was popular anyways. So I am for real a millennial though. Like that's, that's my generation. And the research that came out was that, uh, that generation of millennial, the millennial generation that I'm a part of is the largest generation in the United States, larger than the baby boomers, um, larger than any other, any other group. And then that got me thinking, if all of us decided on things, then we could do something. Like, there's this feeling in life that, that I feel as um, someone in their late 20s now, and I'm not 30 yet, still in my 20s, that, you know, um, one day, and it's, and it's echoed in, in um, 
leadership world and, and just the world and politics and all that is that like one day, one day you guys, this will all be yours. It's like the Lion King. Mufasa tells that to Simba. One day everything you see will be yours. But what I re- what I sort of like realized this light bulb moment was like, well, it already is. We are all old enough, for the most part, as millennials, to um, vote and make decisions and work and have like uh, social change in the world and do what we want to do. Um, we are having children and families and like jobs, and we are with the largest workforce in the world, the largest population. Like. If we decided what we wanted, we could just do it. We wouldn't even have to fight that hard for it. We could all just be in agreement and we can make it happen. Which is difficult because, man, what a, what a divisive and dividing time we live in, right? I don't have to tell you in, in any great detail that, that the world that we live in is pretty crazy and is really set on dividing us. But... This idea that one day we'll have the power, one day we'll have the ability, one day, we'll, one day, one day, one day, one day. No, like that's that's any day that we decide to do that. And I don't think that people that say that mean it in any like offensive or mean way or like they're trying to hide something from us. But um, the truth is that's sort of like a, a masking thing for uh, other people holding power and being responsible for things because ultimately like we could stand up and make actual change happen. And then, like, on Sunday, it sort of did happen. And it wasn't just millennials who were tweeting about this. Like, there were obviously older adults who were doing this as well. Um, and maybe younger kids, too. I don't know. But a lot of people my age were tweeting about it. And it was getting traction. And it was forcing people who are older and in power to do something about it. It was basically a way of saying, hey, we see you. And we're not going to let this go. And there's something powerful about that. And... That Twitter has been used for for things like this, excuse me, obviously in the past before, but this one became extremely personal and extremely, um, like, really hit home, like the state that I live in, that uh, when people rallied around something, which was, this is bad for our state and bad for our school and bad for our, like, sort of public image, which Tennessee has done a lot in the last five years to repair their image. Like, they had some really bad stuff come out about just, like, how how poorly they, like, treated people, like some of their issues with their, like, fraternity life and some, some not-so-great choices with alcohol use. And if you, if you know what I'm talking about, you remember all that stuff. And so, man, it's like, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to take it. And so they stuck it to... Uh, to the man, to the power. And then, in the craziest way, it worked. It actually worked. Now, there's probably going to be some fallout from this in the sports world, but from the personal standpoint, it felt like a victory. So, there you go. A Twitter victory for the ages. And, um, you know, it's interesting, too, to watch, because I watched all this unfold on Twitter pretty much live. Like, I was refreshing, like, every minute or two. And, and, and looking up different hashtags and searching for different things and reading articles. And a lot of the media that's come out has been painted as like, oh, Tennessee just doesn't want to win. They're not willing to do what it takes to win because they should have hired this guy. And um, as someone who watched this unfold online, uh, it, it, it 
almost everyone was saying this has little to do with football. This has little to do with winning. This has little to do with football. This is about our state. This is about protecting um, innocent people from like and like just like how bad that looks. And and several people said this. You know, it's like what what happens when people go to recruit and um, and people are recruiting against the school and they're using all these things as like ways to divide people and to keep them from coming and playing there. I mean, like, there could be just some really, it's just some really bad, like, PR, and it's just a really bad idea. And, yeah, so it kind of got, it's kind of getting spun different ways, as things do. I mean, everyone has an, has an angle, and I get that, but from what I could tell, uh, it really was about, like, hey, you know what? We don't always make the best decisions as a school. We maybe haven't always made the best coaching decisions. Um, but jumping to hire this guy uh, this fast seems like a bad idea. And you know what? If we have to, to mess up a recruiting class because of that, I think it's worth it. And I do too. As someone who doesn't care about football but cares about um, innocent people and children and women and victims, um, I think it was a great move. So I have tons of respect for all the people that stood up and made this happen and sort of fought the powers at, that are at that, at that leadership level um, to make this happen. So kudos to you and kudos to everyone for, uh, for, for speaking out about this. Um, I mean, how else could this have changed? Maybe a riot, <laughs> like a protest? Um, but, but how do you mobilize that like in, in like minutes, right? And also you don't want to like do anything damaging. Um, no one was hurt in this endeavor. It literally didn't even cost money. But you were able to, in an instant, sort of pick up and, and speak your mind and speak truth to power, which is really, really interesting. Like in any other time, if this happened five years ago or ten years ago, definitely, how would you have responded? Well, you would have had to just like talk with your with your money or with your tickets next season after it already happened, which means then there's like all this stuff about maybe having to do a buyout and all these other problems and like, I mean, see, like it's just a mess. But before it even started, people are like, mm, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with we're not going to do this. And then it worked. And I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. I think it shows the the power that social media can have. Also kind of the... But it's also like a warning too, right? Because like sometimes it works for you and sometimes it might work against you. So with great power comes great responsibility because um, as seen by the, um, the, the President of the United States, our, our Tweeter-in-Chief, Donald Trump, um, tweeted some videos yesterday that uh, were fake and were um, not that the videos are necessarily even like completely fake but the way they were framed was untrue and sort of started this like kind of rampage of, uh, against um, against people who are like Muslim and it, it caused kind of this really crazy backlash and there was a lot of angles that were going back and forth but ultimately um, the White House came out and defended that whether it was true or not didn't matter because it made a good point. And that's kind of a scary place to be. Um, that's called propaganda, and it can be used for or against you, and it can work in 
many ways, but I, I don't think that any of them are good. And so I think that we have a responsibility as human beings, as people with a conscience, to stand up and fight when there are things that are not true and that are lies, to point those out to people and to inform people that maybe don't know because we get our headlines and sound bites so quickly uh, what is true and what is not true. That's going to continue to matter more and more every day. Okay, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. Commute's almost over. Um, and, and I need to be done talking about this. Here's, here's the thing. We live in a world that um, loves confirmation bias. We, we read things, we watch things, we hear things, we buy things, we subscribe to things that increase what we already believe. We live in these echo chambers that just tell us uh, what we already think is true. And then it just confirms that. And we grow stronger in our fervor for things um, that we already believe. And so, in a lot of ways, that's what the White House was saying, the press secretary was saying about, well, whether it's true or not, it makes, it, it makes the point is true. It's like, uh, well, this fits my narrative, so who cares if these tweets were, were not true? Um, this is what I want to talk about, and that's going to push my agenda forward. And that's a scary place to be. But instead of just um, pushing back on Donald Trump for retweeting those things, which we should, not okay. Um, not okay that Twitter allows that stuff to happen either. So someone should be held accountable for this. But I think there's a bigger picture here that we can look at and see our responsibility as a society to to maintain truth. Think about this. 30, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, there were like three national news programs, right? You had like NBC, ABC, CBS. And then things grew, more companies grew, bigger conglomerates grew, there are more places to get your news, uh, then there's, you know, then there's like satellite radio, and then there's like the internet, and now there's like Twitter, and now there's YouTube, and now there's like news all the time, and all these different news channels. And like, I'm at a place where I'm going to question everything. No matter what source it came from, I'm going to, even if I read something from, from a source that I, you know, like, I'm, I'm continually trying to, to narrow down the sources that I, that I trust that don't just tell me what is, uh, what I want to hear, but that tell me what is actually true and is willing to stand up to power on either side of the aisle or either side of the issue when it comes to um, standing up for what is actually true. And I think that democracy in itself will completely shatter um, under the, the echo chamber of um, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It doesn't matter if, you know, if it sheds, if it paints us in a bad light, it's bad. Um, because we're not just all good. We're like flawed humans who make mistakes. Even the best of us make mistakes. Even the best of us fail on a regular basis. And so it's important that we be able to question what is true and say, hey, you know what? Two plus two is not equal five. And I don't care, you know, who said that. It's not, that's not true. You know, and so uh, good journalism is going to be really important in the coming years. Honest questioning is going to be really important in the coming years. And, 
you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But um, there is a, a pressure on all of us to be a part of doing the right thing, doing the honest thing, being truthful, and using the tools that we have to speak truth to power in a way that's meaningful and pushes them to be accountable as well. So there you go. There's a, there's a little rant to close this daily commute out. Um, I hope that you guys have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. And you know what? Maybe I'll be back more often. So you can subscribe. If you're listening on Anchor, you could do that and hear all these clips and little short sound bites. Or you can subscribe to Daily Commute on Google Play or iTunes or Overcast or however you listen to podcasts. So um, I'll be back. And until next time, um, enjoy your commute.